Hey, we're the Sons of Cain, and you're listening to Music A to Z. Rock and roll! Woo! Woo! Hello and welcome to Music A to Z Podcast. I am Steve Ferguson. And I am Douglas Ferguson. How's it going, Doug? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's going uh, It's going okay. Uh, apart from I have a sick cat. Mm-hmm. I lost my voice for a little while mm-hmm. because of this, like, th- I don't know, throat infection or something. And it's coming back, but it's been coming back very slowly. It's mm-hmm. mostly better, mm-hmm. but I don't have my, the range I used to have. You know, conversationally, I don't really hear it, but with... Over this microphone and directly via headphones, I can hear it. Yeah, so it's not ideal, but and what sucks is that uh, there's a special on uh, on the mic training for demo reels right mm. now, so you can get twenty percent off a demo reel. And I was like, I think this is the time, except for the fact that I don't have my range right now. I don't have, I, I, I don't, I can't. It's like, it's like I want to record a demo reel, but I just don't. It's just not a good time physically to do it mm-hmm. because it just seems like there's a some. I don't know, Something in the air, some kind of. I don't think it's it's not COVID because I had COVID, and actually my COVID didn't affect my voice the same way. Although it actually affected me in worse in other ways, but it's just um, going around. I guess something going. To, yeah, there are still other illnesses. Um, and you're moving again. Regular listeners to this podcast, this is a recurring theme. I move this all is, the time. You, you know, I, I I don't even know how many times this has been now at this point. Uh, like th- um, um, I, I want to say like. Four or maybe even five. Since when? Since we started the podcast? Yeah. I'll do the math right now. Five, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, five. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's too many. Five moves in ten years. Nine years? Nine years. With it was 2014, 2014 I yeah. believe, yeah. yeah. Wow, nine years. Yeah, it's pretty good. And, well, I'm hoping this one will stick. Like, we, we like our current place. We've been there for just about two years. And um, it's just too small. It's just too small for two people and for two cats. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we are moving to a place with almost double the space. Um, thankfully, for not double the rent. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll stick. I'm, the, really, the only problems that I think we would have if, if the landlords don't like us and they want to get rid of us. Um, yeah. yeah, so, so. Uh, just don't be, don't be a twonk. Congratulations on now having a copy of You Jerks EP. Yeah, you contacted me, I want to say, two weeks ago now. You were in this uh, record shop. What was the name of the shop? Groovecad Records yeah. in Westminster. It's a new shop. Yeah, and uh, and you said, yo, I've got this I've got this copy of the, the uh, You Jerk EP, and it's for 40 bucks. Do you want it? And I, I, I'm going to be honest. I was floored. I was like, what? To find it in the wild, right? Yeah, to, to find it in the wild uh, in relatively good condition. I mean, it's not it's not like... It's not like fresh off the, you know, no, no. off the print, but it's in, it's in really good condition. I said, well, check out, check out the state of the vinyl for me. And, uh, and you gave it your blessing. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that. And, and for only being 40 bucks, I mean, uh, that's a, that's a steal. Did, I will like, say I wasn't able to test it because again, my, my, uh, my, L, my, not LP, my record player is a little bit, uh, it's junk. It's yeah. A piece of, it's a hunk of junk. So I was going to test it, I, and then it got about halfway through the first song, and then just turned off. Yeah. Now and I'm like, well, I still, mean, it's, so that much I can clarify is is very good. It is used. It is clearly used. Uh, yeah. It's it it's not trashed. It's just the person you know had this record for like I don't know forty odd years, and they they've just they clearly listened to it, uh, and or at least uh, thumbed through it a few times, and so the record store owner didn't know. I mean, he knew who he knew what they what they were. 
He knew you jerk, and that was a kind of a special local EP. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't know Zulu pressed them because I told him that I had one that I, we got directly from Zulu. Yeah, and uh, and but yeah, he he seemed uh, he didn't know that that was they were the ones who who basically made 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 you jerk happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, folks, go back and listen to our episode. You is for you jerk because it a is vintage episode. Now. It it is. Oh shit! It really is, and. Uh, and also, especially you Vancouverites out there, if if anyone's listening from hometown Vancouver, yeah. this is this is a very uh, this is a very Vancouver album. And, it's a little slice uh, of our history. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because uh, one of the members, Graham, uh, Graham, mm-hmm. I think, I keep wanting to say Graham Chap, Graham Chapman. But that's that's not it. Uh, Rodney Graham uh, died recently. Uh, within uh, last year, I believe he just was when oh, he passed. Okay. Um, you know, if you like stuff like Talking Heads yeah. and. Um, you know, some police and, you know, like, like that, that kind of era of, uh, post maybe, uh, early Devo or yeah, t- totally early Devo. Yeah. Uh, if you like that kind of stuff, uh, just check out you jerk. I, I think YouTube is the place to go if you want to mm-hmm. hear them. I, I, I don't think it's on any streaming service I'm aware of. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So just, uh, YouTube it up. Uh, U J three R K five. The five is silent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every time I tell that to somebody, but the five is silent. Yeah. We got to talk about the fact that um, uh, it wasn't that long ago that we did our Tears for Fears episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then an opportunity arose to see them here in Vancouver. And now, Doug, please, <laughs> because Doug, Doug, Mr. Doug, like, okay, well, I remember I approached, I said, hey, look, I've got a notification for Ticketmaster, those bastards. Um <laughs> Just in general, those bastards. They knew there was blood in the water, so they started coming. Right. Yeah, um, I said, "Hey, I said, hey, Ticketmaster notified me that Tears of Fears is coming to town, uh, Rogers Arena. Mm-hmm. Are you interested?" And you said, "You said, yeah, yeah, I'm interested." And I said, "Okay, well, I'll check out the ticket availability in the morning because I think they had had or were just going on something like that." Yeah, uh, I'll check it out in the morning. And then I woke up the next morning and I see these messages from you from 4 a.m. <laughs> Okay, Doug, how, how did we get to that point? I was just looking. I was just looking. I was curious how much the tickets were going for. And mm-hmm. and because of the... Because Ticketmaster is so broken, yeah, I really didn't want to miss out on an opportunity. I didn't want bots to scoop up the tickets. I didn't want to have to like try to look at... Re- I, like, basically, once they're in the secondary market, they're out of my tax rate. They're Absolutely. not tax bracket. They're, it's just like, it's like, I can't... I'm not going to pay you $2,000 for a, a nosebleed seat or whatever. Like... I know Ticketmaster's broken. Sometimes you can get what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I've I've bought through Ticketmaster, mm-hmm. and and it's just it's, well, everyone it's who goes to concert, everyone who yeah. goes to concerts goes to well, Ticketmaster. Not, not just to, uh, not just to concerts, but um, Jessica went to see the Office Ladies. And, oh yeah, uh, but yeah, any big live events. Yeah, and yeah, like and, that, that. and that was Ticketmaster as well. So uh, yeah, I googled you know Tears of Fears Vancouver, clicked on it, and I started looking at the prices. I was trying to like there were some really expensive ones, like thousand mm. dollar tickets. Yeah, the ones on the floor. On the floor. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I know that's not happening. No. And and I'm I'm comfortable because all the big concerts I've gone to, I've been in the nosebleeds. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. I, I realize that that's the that is the predicament of life that I'm at. If I want to see these big shows, I got to go up high because I will. I I'm just not going to be able to afford what's going on down there. Uh, as fun and honestly, like I'm not I'm not bothered by it. I think being in like the the middle of the big crowd near the stage might be a little too much for me. Like mm-hmm. being really kind of pressed in there. I just look at the price is like two forty five a ticket. I'm like that is a lot, but fortunately, 
a lot of money had been kind of thrown on my lap due to uh, I got a little bonus for my birthday from work, a hundred bucks. Thank you. They gave you a bonus for your birthday. Yeah, Michelle is uh, really sweet about. It. She wow. gives she gives a a birthday bonus and Christmas bonus. Wow. Yeah, there's that. There, I got my tax return. I got a what was it the uh, Canadian? Oh the, yeah, there's the, uh, the the carbon tax credit. Carbon tax credit. Yeah. 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 So I mean, actually, I distributed all that in a way that I I, really, I put a bunch of money on our credit card, which I which I'm like, phew. Mm. Uh, I sent some money to Allie because you know I, I, I'm not stealing all the money for myself, guys. We gotta, yeah. she got uh, bills to pay too, and I still and I still had a nice oh, and I and I just got paid, and it was it's the paycheck, it's the happy paycheck, it's mm. the one I get to use for other things other than rent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, I had a nice pile of money on my lap. An unusual mo- nice pile of money on my lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I was like... Uh, arguably a once-per-year amount of money on your lap. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, and the fact that the, the Tears for Fear tickets were there, I'm like, you know what? 500 bucks? I can spare it right now. T- perfect. Boom. So, I bought they're, it. They're not bad seats. They're, it's, we're not nosebleeds. No, no. Yeah. We actually have... We're on the, the, the next level down. Yeah. I couldn't find anything in the nosebleeds. I don't know if they got scooped up or maybe they just weren't on sale yet. I don't really know if I got like... I a, feel like, honestly, they were probably scooped up because they, they're the cheapest tickets, right? And right. there's a lot of Tears for Fears fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said it best. Uh, most of us can't afford those prices. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I figured, you know, if... Uh, if you really weren't up for those prices, then you know Ali and I can go. But I, I felt like you'd probably be down for it. Five hundred bucks, pretty close to that anyway. Uh, went through my PayPal and I was like, great. I mean, that may be the most I spent on tickets, mm-hmm. but because uh, you know I don't go to see big shows very often, um, and also things did go up because of COVID, mm-hmm. and I, I acknowledge that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it'll be worth it. I think because I, I, I got I got to really love in Tears for Fears uh, mm-hmm. during our, uh, our our studying up for their, our podcast. Are they ever going to tour again? I don't know. Yeah, something is like well, I, don't I don't know, know if I get another chance. Yeah. And how much are they going to be next time? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah right. Is, is they're Ticket, not getting any cheaper. Is Ticketmaster going to fix their problems? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> not unless they have to. There, yeah, there's. It would have to be government serious government intervention. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it would have to be like laying the hammer down, and they would not go down without a hell of a fight. <laughs> they're like, but but money, but money. <laughs> um, so anyway whoo okay who got the tickets i'm feeling good about it i get yeah. my emails of the here's like you, you bought these ticket emails here's your paypal receipt and i look at my paypal receipt and i notice uh three dreaded letters right after the right after the number of how much i spent usd <laughs> uh just a reminder uh, <laughs> listeners this is a canadian podcast your hosts are canadian <laughs> so I spent 500 US dollars. Uh, and so then right then and there, I look at the, the amount that, that it adds. It just added almost actually almost exactly 200 extra dollars to the. And that was and I, you know, I, I thought I calculated things pretty good. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly that extra 200 dollars, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't ready. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, ready. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't regret buying them. But I just, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. Would I have bought them if I knew it was going to actually be three over three? I don't know. Maybe, maybe being duped was the only way to go. Maybe that's Ticketmaster's plan all along. It's like the only way we can get people to buy these absurdly priced tickets is if we trick them. (laughs) Uh, I I admit that I wasn't on Ticketmaster.ca and that was my big mistake. I followed the nearest Google link. Mm. 
and it was like tickets ticket center or something like that or ticket something else.com which is owned by Ticketmaster. But it's all, that's the thing is that it's all Ticketmaster. It's yeah. all Ticketmaster, so why not just have a place to go rather than these other outlets that you own anyway? It's, well, it's for the illusion of competition for one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I had spoken to somebody over Facebook and he had bought one ticket too many from the floor and he wanted to Oof. refund it. Yeah, it was an extra like grand plus. He wanted to refund it. They're like no, no refunds. Uh you need to resell it through What's it called? Tickets now or whatever. Right. Whatever, whatever the resale thing is, and the like, and we're going to charge you. And uh, and I was like, well, hold on, hold, wait. You have they charge like put a surcharge for the seller as well as the buyer, so they <laughs> they make money off both ends. And these are tickets that have already been purchased through them. Yeah. So they've already been char- so you're char- charging the seller twice mm. because you're, you're when they bought them you're charging them yeah you're selling them they're charging you and then they're charging the buyer the new of buyer them. that's yeah crazy. Um, and uh, and that's that's rough because like well it's like I should be allowed to refund well then it gets a little kind of like technical right it's because they are given the opportunity for a reimbursement. And then, of course, that's a lot of these, uh, and that's incentive to sell them for hire because if you're buy- buying ticket or selling, uh, you know, paying Ticketmaster, then you know, well, then of course you're going to sell for more because you want to recoup your losses, right? Right. Uh, so, I mean, oh, oh my God, it's just a mess. And something else has changed, <clears throat> and this is a minor thing because it didn't cost that much, but there used to be two options. You mm-hmm. could you, you could have your tickets mailed to oh, you, yeah, yeah, your yeah. physical tickets, and it would cost a little bit, like ten bucks or whatever. Or they could be emailed to you, and that was mm-hmm. free. Yeah. Now there's no option to get your things, your tickets mailed to you, and now the free option is no longer free. It's like it was seven dollars to have your tickets emailed to you, and there's no other options. It's just like you just have to That's, have an extra seven dollars. I, I even remember <laughs> even further back where there was like such thing called will call, where you would just pick your tickets up at the venue. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's a whole heap of bullshit. <laughs> like I understand charging for postage and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a little much. But fundamentally, I get it. Yeah. And but, because also, like, you know, then it's paper and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I get it. I get it as well. Yeah. But I mean, like, we've, we've seen Ticketmasters, you know, when they send you the tickets, you, the way you open the file and it goes all whoosh, like, you can't screen cap the tickets. Mm-hmm. You have to open it through the app and stuff. So they put a whole bunch of work into making this sort of now you can't, like, fool the scanners at the door. And we're going to make you pay for it sort of thing. It's just like, well, fuck, just give me the tickets. You know, just just, just let me watch my damn show. So uh, that's our little Ticketmaster rant. Yeah. Uh, but hey, we're going to see Tears for Fears. We're going to see Tears for Fears. All right. Uh, let's... We, we're going to, and when we go, we have to remember, we got to enjoy the hell out of it. Oh, yeah. We yes, gotta, I have every got, intention. We got to love it. I, I have every intention <laughs> of, of enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get into our show. Thanks, folks, for bearing with us. But... Uh, Especially you Swifties out there, like I know that you guys hate and loathe Ticketmaster for the Vengeance. So oh, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna continue to press on to you Swifties to keep hammering them. Don't let them get away with this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Because the next time Taylor Swift goes on tour, because like she's not tears for fears, she is young enough that she can spend many more decades going on tour. They're gonna keep hammering you every single time, and it's gonna get more and more expensive, and they're not gonna stop. Ride your local. Uh, well, we have MPs here. I don't know, uh, senators, state Senate, senators, state, yeah. state Congress. Just, 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 just say like, hey, this is important. Monopolies are bad. Yeah, uh, and also, uh, I will vote you out of office unless you do something about it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, again, you gotta stay in good favor with the Swifties. They are a a really dangerous army. They're a legion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Mr. Doug. Uh, it's good that we got back in studio. 
here we are. It is X. We are coming coming right up to the end of our of our uh, alphabet cycle. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. But I must know, Doug, who are we covering today? Today we are covering the irreplaceable X-ray specs. Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think. Oh, bondage up yours. One, two, three, four. Irreplaceable, irreplaceable X-ray specs. I was just trying to think of a really good, like you know, like a Marvel, like the you know, the Invincible Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm, Amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man, the irreplaceable X-ray specs. You got to tell me, Doug, because we were we were <laughs> hemming and hawing over yeah. who to do for X. So how did you bring these guys to my attention? How did it happen? I was talking to a coworker of mine, Cheryl, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know what to do for X, and and you know, there's a few ideas that were passed to me by Allie, like XXX Testion or whatever. I'll give you say his name. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know. But then I got to listen to his music. And so, but you know, Cheryl is, is, um, is reliably somebody whose music I can, music taste I can trust. She actually knows what I'm talking about. When I went to see, when we went to see Kraftwerk. Yeah. Everyone's like, huh? Who's that? Who's that? I'm like, Kraftwerk, you know, like, we are the robots. And, and, uh, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Um, and, but Cheryl did. So thank you, Cheryl. Cheryl um, is deceptively youthful. I, I couldn't believe it when you told me that she was our age. I was like, what? <laughs> like Gal, Gal looks like she's in her early 20s. She could, she had passed for her early 20s very easily. There you go. So Good for, um, her. Good for her. We shall be so lucky. Yeah. I, uh, I was like, any, any ideas for X? And she's like, X-Ray Specs. Uh, with, the, with the level of enthusiasm that you'd expect from her. Because apparently this is a band that she's really enjoyed for a long time. And then just kind of looked it up casually. Done like two albums. Punk rock scene. We haven't done a lot of from the punk rock mm. era, so I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, cool. But they are a band who's uh, who started in the '70s, Doug. Yes. So, got Phil Sun. Oh yes. Yeah. So uh, our six degrees from King Crimson. So those who don't know, this basically is. Uh, I have this theory. Any band from the '70s, '80s. Maybe even late late sixties uh, can somehow be traced back to King Crimson members because they have uh, such a wide variety of members who have their tendrils in many uh, musical projects. Uh, I, I think just with Six Degrees you can find a connection. It, uh, so far, only one band, <laughs> uh, actually coincidentally, You Jerk mm-hmm. was the only band we were not able to find a connection to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I did find one with X-ray specs. Oh, fantastic. Although it was a little bit trickier than I thought it was going to be, uh, because they, they only have the one album, and, and most of their stuff has been very uh, insular. Like there, yeah, a, yeah. Um, the, their manager was their producer for the first album. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, that is our connection right there. Is oh. uh, Falcon Stewart, their producer of the first album? Uh, amazing name as yeah, well. By the way, yeah, ten out of ten on the name Falcon. Yeah, Falcon Stewart. Um, he also produced uh, or and worked worked with Adam and the Ants. That's right, he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a producer for. Uh, one of the Adam and the Ants um, projects was uh, Chris Hughes, who we knew actually mm. again coincidentally, who was one of the members of Tears for Fears, or was he no one of the producer? I think he's the producer of Songs from the Big Chair. That, sound, or, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I don't. I don't know. He also had co-writing credits on Everybody Wants to Rule the World, mm-hmm. and he's also worked with Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Who no. uh, and then and then that's the connection right there because Peter Gabriel and King Crimson are interlocked together because both Robert Fripp and Tony Levin of King Crimson, Tony Levin has played on all of Peter Gabriel's studio albums and Robert Fripp has played on the played on the first two, uh, and he produced uh, Peter Gabriel's second album as well. So, boom, that is the King Crimson connection. Okay, well that's not that's not so bad. That's pretty straightforward. I yeah, think. yeah. Uh, but I couldn't find any other links other than that. But also, you know, once you find it, you kind of stop. Looking so there's that too. Uh, I mean, I, I looked a little bit after, but let's see if anything was closer, and then I gave up. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that was as far as I went. All right, so let's uh, let's go back in time. Let's go back in time. Okay, we are first going to look at Marianne Ella Sahid. She is growing up in the UK. Mm-hmm. Her father is from Somalia, mm-hmm. and her mother is Scottish Irish. She is. As a teenager, she has stopped growing at four foot five inches. Pretty darn short. Yeah. Yeah. She is a lonely and isolated teen because she's clearly not white, but she's also not quite black enough. For, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Apparently, there's some snippets uh, in an interview where she was really bothered by both sides yeah. quite a bit of, uh, of, you know, she wasn't black enough for the black kids and she mm-hmm. wasn't white enough for the white kids. Mm-hmm. So she's very isolated. Yeah, uh, big braces. She has big braces uh, on her teeth. They're so big that uh, she has difficulty closing her mouth, which, uh, which, given her vocalizations and her spoiler alert, uh, singing career is an absolute testament. Uh, because I mean, like I, I, you, you look at interviews with her. It's just like you're having a very difficult time talking, aren't you? These are these are huge braces. Um, In the seventies, I mean, I'm sure yeah. that the braces nowadays are a little more. Yeah, I would hope. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm not a. Not really sure. I haven't looked into the history of dental hygiene and uh, <laughs> and uh, dental care, but you know, uh, when she was uh, 15 years old, uh, she said she'd had enough of this. She'd had enough of it. She ran away from home. She uh, went uh, to join the uh, the hippie circuit because apparently there were still hippies around in the mid 70s, and she went to as many free music festivals as she could. But by the time she was 16, she came back home. She came back home, and uh, she decided she was going to start her own singing career and. Uh, in 1976, we have the sun. This little, little reggae son. Silly Billy. Very reggae son. <laughs> Silly Billy. Uh, with the B-side, What Away. Uh, 1976. Uh, nice, short, sweet, uh, very, very of its time. Uh, in a lot of ways, because because uh, there was a surgence of, of a lot of reggae influences in the 70s, and that would continue into the 80s. Um, 
astounding that she is she's i mean she's basically kids she's, she's my son's age at this point yeah this of course does not chart at all um which must have been discouraging but um but i mean by the same token you know it's it's i want to say kind of somewhat understandable because how do you market this kind of thing right mm-hmm. like uh who who releases this who who gets it out there Kind of a difficult thing, but you I mean, know what? Reg- you know, reggae was kind of a big thing at the time. Yeah. You know, but you know, maybe there was a lot of it. Like, well, it, that's know, what it's I, kind of hard to break through. You know, it's yeah. I mean, look at one of the biggest reggae acts. I want to say a little later is the Police. They're white. I mean, they're not. It wasn't that much later than this, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah it, this is seventy six. Yes, I don't. I don't remember when the Police's first album is, but uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. It um, is late seventies. So much so that there was there was a whole genre of reggae that came out called cod reggae, because cod is a white fish. yeah yeah i mean okay when i first bought because the first police album i bought was what's it called the one with spirits and material world ghost in the machine thank you ghost in the machine which for the record i think is really good uh it's not the best but i think it's really good i think it's good um but our dad actually kind of gave me a little disclaimer when i bought he said hey yeah just to let you know the the british music scene at the time there was a lot of reggae influences and uh i mean like truthfully it's just like if you if he hadn't told me that, I don't think I would have like really noticed or cared. But I, I like the fact that he kind of wanted to throw in just this little caveat. Um, um, I mean, I mean, you know, fair enough. Uh, the the police got less reggae as they went. They, yeah, very, synchronicity. There's like none of that. You really. can definitely hear it in the first album, like very, very much so. Oh yeah. You know, they just, they just kept evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's that's uh, maybe another later podcast we can get to. P is for police. Yeah. So for her 19th birthday. She went to Hastings. Uh, she went to the, the city of Hastings, and she went into a club, and she saw this band performing cover songs. Not not any original material, as far as I as far as I've been able to divine. There are no original materials, all just covers, but badly, badly, badly done mm. because it's the punk scene. So these terrible, terrible covers are being done by a band called the Sex Pistols. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the Sex Pistols, they weren't even the headliners. They were opening for somebody. Um, I think it was like Budgie or something it was kinda, like that. It was before the Sex Pistols were the Sex Pistols, basically. Basically, yeah. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, she saw them and she was just like, I'm 19 years old. Uh, I hate being working class in the UK. Mm, my instrument playing skills are kind of so-so. I want in on this. Because, you know, a lot of uh, well, the time, but, you know. That was the appeal because it was uh, one of the big things with reggae. No, reggae. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. Reggae required a lot of musical skill, I think, I feel. Uh, not really. Reggae is all about the chill vibes. Hashtag chill vibes. It's all It's all about kind of just keeping a nice little rhythm with your... But no, sorry. The... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just chill. It's just you, you just gotta you just gotta capture the vibe. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but, but punk was very much. Um, I mean, there was there was the social aspect of it, but musically, it was the response to progressive rock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In that, you know, there's Genesis and and Pink Floyd who they were bigger than ever, mm-hmm. and yes, and you, they were they were super talented musicians, and it just wasn't accessible to young people f- if they just wanted to just start a band mm-hmm. and just work on their emotion, work off their emotions and stuff like that. So punk was just, it was the opposite. It was simple chords. You barely had to know how to play. You just had to have the attitude. And on top of that, 
great way to piss off your parents. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. You put out a punk, like a, a hardcore punk album. <laughs> you're just, you're going to, your parents grew up off of uh, rock and roll in the 50s. They're going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's abrasive. It, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, and, that, and that's by design. That's, uh, they want it to be something that uh, young people would go to and, uh, and just, I don't know. She put out an ad in uh, a few music publications, one of them being uh, NME Magazine, uh, NME Magazine, there we go, looking for fellow punks, mm-hmm. just like fellow punks, we got to meet up, and hey, why not? And she got a few responses. Paul Dean came by to play the bass. Jack Stafford, Stafford, <clears throat> Stafford, whatever, he called himself Jack <clears throat> Airport, and uh, to play the guitar. Big Paul, BP Herding, came in for the dr- uh, the drums. I was going to say the drugs. Yeah, he came, came in, in for, for the, the drugs. for the drugs. <clears throat> They're like, well, we need someone to play the drums, too. He's like, I can do that. Arguably, the most talented one to come in, arguably, not necessarily, but arguably, was Susan Whitby, who called herself uh, Laura Logic. Uh, she was 15 years old, and she played the saxophone. Nice. Now, this is, this is, this is pre-ska. Uh, the, this is pre-ska and, uh, punk bands were not playing sax. No, it was not, it was not a thing. She had started saxophone from a very young age and she, I recall reading an interview where she, she had said that, um, when she first started playing, it was like this, this, uh, line of communication she had with her father because he really, he really adored the saxophone and, uh, it was difficult for her. She was a kid and, you know, it would hurt. It would hurt fingers and stuff. Yeah. And she would keep playing and playing and playing and playing until it didn't hurt. And listening to their early stuff. Yeah. You, she's she's a, at 15 years old. She's a very gifted saxophonist. She's and also like good. really honed in on how to play sax for punk. Yeah. Because, I mean, saxophone is it's such a versatile instrument. Yeah. And you like like how you play it affects it's so much mm. um, like I, I have no comprehension of it, but just like, you know, if you think of like the saxophone used in here um, or the saxophone used in jazz mm. versus the saxophone, like using like, you know, concert know, band, Kenny G. Yeah. Oh, sure. yeah, you know, like, the, the, like it's all Easy so listening. different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very much so. It's uh, and so like she honed in very quickly on how to make this work with the kind of, with the kind of music they're playing. She adored the music, but uh, she was also, she was also pretty scared. In those early, early shows, she recall she recalled stories of so much sweat and spit and from the coming from the crowd that like she could turn her saxophone upside down and just have it kind of like drip out of the, of the horn. Yeah, That's it's really it disgusting. <laughs> uh, and and again, and again, she's a kid. She's the youngest one by 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 quite a bit. I mean, even even though Polly, uh, sorry, Mary Elliot has uh, given herself the name Polly Styrene. She's not exactly like uh, you know the, uh, been around the block a few times, sort of thing. She's nineteen twenty, so she's a kid. But <clears throat> well, I mean, well, she is and she isn't because she's also like lived a very um, like a, quite a life for true. Cons- considering her age. Yes, very so. very true. She's she is she is well experienced, but she's still she's still a kid. Uh, but Laura Logic here is <laughs> yeah. down several notches. Uh, but why polystyrene? Well, she called herself polystyrene because it's, even from a young age, she became fascinated with this idea of everything being so disposable. Mm-hmm. And plastics, single-use plastics. And uh, a lot the of, the, of our existence. The, the, the pop stars and even the rock stars, just like the audience, kind of fickle. Hey, I really like this now. 
Might not like it later. Get rid of it. Very true to the punk scene, actually. Sure. Because, I, I don't know. I mean, spoiler alert, a lot of these uh, bands don't last very long. No, no. A lot <laughs> of them have a very, very short shelf life. And the ones that don't had to find themselves adapting quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and even the ones that adapted, arguably, a lot of them lost their audiences. It's, and that's tough. And that's tough. It's tough stuff. Yeah, Polly, uh, the, the name of the band then is X-Ray Specs, which is taken from uh, the back of like comic books where they promised, you know, you could, you could, you know, send in X number of barcodes or whatever. And then they would ship you these little, you know, yeah. novelty. Well, they say X-Ray Specs, but they're not. They're just like, I don't, I don't know, tinted lenses know. or whatever. Yeah. You know? or maybe made like a 3D effect or something. Sure, right. But that's, not, that's also not X-Ray, so I don't, I don't know. But I saw, I saw a picture of... The thing that it was advertising, and I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess they're <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we've seen enough old comic books that there's a lot of like bizarre ads. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and a most... lot of superheroes trying to sell like Twinkies. Oh uh, yeah, like Hostess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on. Um, now I'll refer to her as as Polly or Polly Styring going forward, just because. Yeah, professionally that was what you going by. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, and it seemed very appropriate too. She was also very much into fashion, and in part, she noticed that even within those first few years, or I, I'll actually go forward and say even just a couple years, she noticed how quickly this rebellious, the rebellious fashion in particular of punk music, how quickly the stores and the shops caught on to it and started selling to it. <laughs> what was the store called? Um... Hot topic. Hot topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah just uh, I mean, yeah, just uh, whatever the hot topic of what was of his day. Mm. It definitely seems like that's the kind of the kind of store that we're talking about. Yeah, she was she was going through racks and she was seeing stuff that like five years ago would never have existed. You know, with like buckles and safety pins and stuff yeah. like that. And then all of a sudden, it's not counterculture. All of a sudden, the stores are just like people want to buy this. We are going to sell. That's it. the cycle. Yeah, yeah counterculture becomes culture. I, I almost uh, I remember <clears throat> feeling kind of bad for Avril Lavigne because when she did Skater Boy, she just she just wore whatever you know she could have she could have been like like mandy moore or something you know uh you know with form form hugging t-shirts and like 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 tight jeans and stuff like that but she's like i'm gonna wear a baseball cap and a loose tie and baggy jeans and stuff like that and um and you know what i'll give her props i was just like you know what because she was coming out at the same time as a lot of these pop princesses and she's just like ah i I just want everyone to wear whatever you know i want to wear whatever and then instantly the fans are all wearing the same thing and i mean you know you can predict it you obviously that's going to happen but uh you almost feel bad you almost feel bad for for avril because her thing was her thing was just wear whatever the hell you want you know who cares it was a real look you know Mm. i almost forgot about that about the fact that the 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 tie on the like tank tops and stuff like that yeah come kind of fun yeah it looked, yeah. you know it's kind of dumb but fun that's just it right <laughs> yeah. that's it. uh it's it's one of those things where it's just like i don't care about image and that becomes your image yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah there you go uh but but polystyrene she was noticing this she was noticing this and so much so that she was she was designing her own clothing instead she's just like okay well anything i want to wear i'll just design it myself so she was and she went weird she did she went like really out there which but it like kind of worked you know like yeah. it, it was it was very uh yeah, just like kind of weird boxy. Uh, I don't know how to like. Uh, it, it almost looked like a toy soldier sort of thing, yeah. but but not. Yeah, and, yeah. and it definitely like. I remember it, it said she was rejecting the tr- like any attempts at her being sexualized. Mm, yeah. Um. So like nothing was form fitting. It was all very loose and like, yeah, again, kind of boxy. Because even the even the rock 
there weren't a lot of um, very strong women in uh, rock music and especially underground music, but there were some. Uh, Debbie Harry when Blondie started, but she was still, you know, she was still sex symbol. Joan Jett, she was still a sex symbol. You know, and I can understand just like not wanting to, be, not wanting to be bothered with that. You know, just like I don't want to. Yeah, you know, she just wants to. She, uh, you know, you can tell she's in it for the music. Yeah, legitimately. So they got together and they started performing the Roxy. They did their first three live shows at the Roxy in London, mm-hmm. uh, starting in 1977. While they were there, the Roxy put out a compilation album called the Roxy London WC Two, and it is their first inclusion on an album and they uh hated it because they weren't particularly a big big fan of it because the the live uh the live uh version uh of oh bondage up yours which we'll get into a second didn't quite go as as expected so listen to this so she she started with with her and you hear the drummer has dropped his stick Mm-hmm. And the guitarist, his strap is broken. So it only starts with the bass coming in. And then they had a hard time kind of getting into uh, into the groove of it after. Um, and this was their first release. And they were, and they weren't very happy. They weren't very happy with how that turned out. And they're like, oh, nuts. Actually, interestingly enough, uh, Buzzcocks were on this compilation as well. Um, but uh, if you can find this on YouTube. The Roxy London WC2. Uh, it, they took the first... A few months of 1977 of uh, just some of the acts that came through and uh it's it's kind of cool listen because it opens up if you uh it opens up on club sounds so just like if you spend some time i mean it just sounds like ambience but you spend some time and you just listen to it and there's there's conversations and stuff that you can kind of make out and stuff and it's i don't know i kind of like that i kind of like this just this, mm-hmm. this uh this vibe it's very uh yeah very raw yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm completely about that. But they were not they were not happy with that. So well, I, you know, it, it's not a great performance of the song. No. I mean, it's great in that it, it's very authentic and very <laughs> and very like true to the the raw sound of that moment in time. But uh, as far as like it being the perfect rendition of the song, it definitely yeah. is not that. So yeah. So let's start. Let's start with "Oh Bondage Up Yours," and then we'll get into the live stuff i've i've actually compiled like the the singles separately because just how things were moving at the time because things things happened very quickly for these guys things started quickly and things ended quickly uh and so i've i've kind of broken it down a little bit but we'll start with the uh in september 77 they released the single oh bondage up yours and automatically banned from bbc radio they said no we're not playing this they had an ongoing thing uh, against punk. Nothing punk was going on BBC Radio, which means it didn't chart. And also because it's an S&M song. Uh-oh, no, it's not. Uh, it was a popular misconception. And you kind of think about it too. Oh, bondage, up yours. It's just like, ooh, kinky. Yeah, it doesn't really... Just a, Really, the only word that's kinky is bondage. And up yours. But, uh, like, yes, yeah, but uh, I mean... But they don't fit. <laughs> no, no, and that okay. That's the thing, and and the thing is, is that even going through the lyrics, this is not an S and M song. In fact, there is nothing sexual about the song. She is referring, uh, almost quite literally, about the bondage of commercialism. Like, I, and again, this she's young, but she's she's already had enough of it, and she's just like <laughs> she she's talked about how because her parents were very religious about how there was so much talk in the Bible about about being in bondage. And uh, her, she felt that the next logical step in the punk movement was not just to be free of bondage, but to kind of insult it on the way out, you know, and, and kind of be like, 
I do not want to be bound down by by the politics, by the commercialization. I don't want anything to do with this. It, trust me, go through these lyrics. I, it's it's very 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 obvious. But of course, hashtag burn down capitalism. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but of course, BBC's like BBC Radio is like, no, we ain't playing this. We ain't playing this. It's a smut, punk smut. Yeah. I say we can't have this on the radio. Oh, bondage up yours. This was this was their song. This was their song. And on top of that, it was released on the relatively new Virgin label. Oh. Yeah, that's right. It was it was a new. It was Virgin was new. Uh, they wouldn't continue to release the Virgin, but um, that was kind of cool. Uh, but if I recall, the the actual sales of the the single were quite good. Yeah, they sold out. Yeah, yeah. So even though it didn't chart, it was a wild success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly my my thoughts on the song that saxophone very distinct. There's more yelling than singing. This isn't a melodic song. This yeah, isn't this yeah. is an angry protest song. And she, and she doesn't bury the lead. This is how she she kicks it off. It but it is a nice, real short punk track. It's in and done it within three minutes. And then if you want something just a little bit more frantic, the B side was called "I'm a Cliche," and that was even more frantic. This this nice punk single. Your thoughts on the song? Uh, I mean, you're pretty succinct with it. It's, it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not much else to say. I mean, we uh, we we kind of covered what it's about and. And uh, and yeah, it's a it's a real kick to the teeth. Perfect kind of display of what was to come from the band. You know, it's it's a very high energy, very raw. I mean, yeah, very very raw. <laughs> and I can totally see why it it appealed 100 percent to the, that that demographic, the punk the punk demographic. Now you had always said that you were you were never a fan of Sex Pistols, um, but you also really loved the Clash. How do you feel this kind of compares to a lot of the punk stuff that was? So- well, you know, I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm back and forth on the Sex Pistols. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I do feel like there is that that they have one album. It's I do feel it's a little overrated. You know, at the same time, like sometimes I just kind of reflect on it and be like, yeah, you know, it is good. That's also a good kind of kick in the teeth album. You know, truthfully, actually, uh, as much as I say I love the Clash, I don't know their early their early works very well, which mm. is probably which is more in line with where this. Um, where these this um, single comes from? Mm-hmm. I mostly know London Calling and uh, Combat Rock. Yeah, so so actually, truthfully, it's just kind of put a bit of a fire under my butt to kind of listen to the really <laughs> early Clash uh, albums because uh, uh, I don't know. I just I, just, I especially since I like I love London Calling. I think it's an incredible album. But so I mean, it's it's but it it, it feels like it's right in line. With uh, with that era of punk, except yeah, the saxophone adds a little bit of extra embellishment, and um, and it's got a lady voice, you know, mm-hmm. it's got it's got it's a different point of view uh, on very similar topics. So. Yeah, a lot of bands and especially female singers have listed it as massive inspirations for them. There was one thing that that was kind of sticking out in my head, and let me see if let's let's see if you kind of agree with agree with me here. That was on. Little girls should be seen and not heard. But I think Oh bondage up yours one two three four So there's Oh Bondage Up Yours. And now what do you think about this? We are sex for bomb! One, two, three, four! <laughs> huh. I, I, I can't I can't help it. I can't help but help it here, you know? I didn't make that connection myself, but I hear it as well. Yeah. At the very least it comes from a similar place in that uh, you know Sex Bob-omb, although they're although a fictitious band, yeah. there was supposed to be 
like a punk band full of a bunch of kids who don't know how to play their instruments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so essentially, you know, I guess it's it's whoever made the music for the the movie um, fully understood. They, they they knew the assignment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was Edgar Wright uh, had a very firm hand in with the. Uh, uh, for the, for those not in the know, that's uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, fantastic soundtrack. Uh, Edgar Wright was very involved in no ma- doubt, no doubt, the making of that. Now it was at this point that there was a uh, live from the Roxy album that they put out. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this on this album? Uh, sounds like a bootleg, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's that's kind of cool. Uh, it's really really raw, but uh, but at, I mean at this point, if you, if you want to listen to Spotify, uh, this is the only version of Oh Bondage Up Yours you can hear on Spotify. Uh, mm. No, actually no, it's not the only, but it's 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 either that or a later live album, mm-hmm. uh, like a lot later. There's the which we'll get to the 2008 one. It's very short. It's a really brisk listen, very intense. It's just a good, nice kind of like punk show. And actually, Oh Bondage Up Yours they open and close with it, so. Oh, the close um, with it as well. Yeah. I guess, you know, they ran out of material. <laughs> They're like, all right, I guess we'll finish on our favorite song again. So it's it's a good listen. It's not the one I'd, I'd say, you know, is essential. I wouldn't say it's essential, but fun. A little raw. But, you know, that's that's, that's kind of, again, part of the, the scene. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's all about the, the raw emotions. Yelling uh, at your audience. Now, at this point, there was a lot of people who, critics especially, who were saying, oh, Laura Logic. Man, she steals the show. What a cutie! Oh, what a distinct saxophone! You know she's she's such a huge part of this band. It may or may not have led to this falling out between her and Polly Styrene. It it kind of depends on what you read and when it was from. There, all we know for sure is there was a falling out. The press really liked Laura Logic, and she was she was ousted ousted from the band. She went on then to found the band Essential Logic. Mm-hmm. She, for before the release of their uh, X-Ray Specs' LP for singles and for live performances, she was temporarily replaced by the saxophonist John Glynn. But so that was it for Laura Logic. <clears throat> and John Glynn, now. he could be controlled. That's why he was brought in. <laughs> and, and he was a guy. Wow, wow. He was a guy. All right, March of 1978. The day the world turned day glow. Demand now at this point for X-Ray Specs was high. They had done, after the live album, they had done some supporting tour touring for some acts across Europe. And uh, now demand for them in the UK was very high. This single hit number 23 on the chart. So now that they were actually getting played on radio. And Polystyrene was now actually uh, becoming a fashion icon. She had her own shop. Um, there was, uh, even the tabloids were starting to take pot shots at her and stuff, which means, you know, you've made it in the UK when the tabloids hate your guts. The day the world turns day glow is very similar to the bondage single, but it's a little more melodic. It's a little more refined, refined, yeah, refined. It's a little more refined. Think, refined, think. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the B-side, I am a poser, or poser, I believe it's pronounced. Mm. These are tracks that would be later incorporated into the LP. Now, while this was going on, and again, this is a span of like six months or something, uh, polystyrene is becoming increasingly fatigued. She's becoming tired. She's becoming irritable. There are days where she's going without eating or sleeping. At one point, she was becoming so angry with the tabloids and the pressure uh, that she was feeling crushing on her, she went uh, just stripped just shaved her head. Well, she went to her buddy's place flat. Yeah, you hit, hit a certain breaking point. She's like, well, I guess I'll shave my head. 
At one point, uh, going between venues, uh, she thought she saw uh, an extraterrestrial ship mm-hmm. approaching, and nobody else did. And so it seemed obvious that she was hallucinating. You know, it's it's actually pretty smart that she even came to that conclusion. Yeah. Because some people, when their mental health is really degrading, they can't acknowledge that what they're seeing isn't reality. Yeah. So she's, you know, so she's pretty smart. Uh, I'm able to make that, able to reach that conclusion, so. Her mother withdrew her then, said, okay, you're going to take a step back. The history of mental health illnesses and institutionalization was in the process of changing. Mm -hmm. So she was hospitalized, but it wasn't like she's, you know, it wasn't like the 50s. She wasn't put in a straight jacket and thrown into like like some facility, never to see the light of day again or whatever. More of like she started receiving treatment and, and therapy. She was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia at the time. In part because she was 21, the age fit. Hmm. Um, I can understand why she's misdiagnosed as that. The problem was, oh, spoiler alert, uh, she was later re-diagnosed as being bipolar, hmm. uh, which actually makes more sense. But the thing is, she was bipolar and exhausted from all the performances. And so that, no doubt in my mind, exacerbated uh, a lot of symptoms. And, I mean, fatigue will do horrendous things to people who don't have bipolar. So it's not just performances. It's all like touring with the press and, and like promoting and getting up on stage and, and just like and just blasting. And it like you that. said, she yeah. had her own um, her own shop, her own shop. Like yeah. that's it's a lot to take on, especially when you're that young, especially when you're that young. So, yeah, while this was occurring, Identity, the Identity single came out July of 78, hit number 24. And interestingly enough, uh, if you if you listen to it, and you read the lyrics, the lyrics actually kind of reflect these conflicts. This is uh, one a little less about commercialism and a little bit more about like uh, struggling to fit in with it. A little more personal, a little more personal. There's still a bit of yelling, but she's also approaching it a little more, I almost want to say gently, but maybe a little more melodically. Although we do get to hear that Jack Airport's guitar starts to actually finally shine a bit. Hmm. Uh, the B-side for that one is Let's Submerge, uh, which I felt was a little too long. Kind of lost steam about 90 seconds in, but it was a B-side. October of 78, Germ-Free Adolescence, the single, comes out. It hits number 19. It is their highest charting single. This one I found very musically interesting. So at this point, was BBC Radio starting to play punk? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, There's only so long you can deny before before you're just like, we got to get on this. Can't yeah. beat them, join them. Yeah. The reggae influences start showing up in that song, Germ-Free Adolescence. Mm-hmm. And then the B-side age isn't really punk as much as it's a rock track. So already things are starting to get musically interesting. However, one month later, November, we get a bunch of those tracks in along with some other tracks that had been had been prepared. And we have finally the LP, Germ-Free Adolescence. It hit number 30 in the UK, number 56 in Australia. Produced by X-Ray Specs and their manager, Falcon Stewart. Still a great name. Great yeah, name. still a great name. Now, Laura Logic's parts that she wrote, she's uncredited in the album, but they are parts that she wrote. Mm-hmm. They are performed by Rudy Thompson. Rudy Thompson is doing the saxophone for the album. <clears throat> but Doug, Rudy. Yeah, I, Rudy's put in a difficult spot. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, Doug, tell me wh- how you feel about uh, the album, Germ-Free Adolescence. It sucks. Good night, everybody! <laughs> Pretty damn punk, you know. <laughs> it feels very—I've been using this word a lot, but it still, you know, still fits. Very raw. It's energetic in ways uh, that we hope 
from for the pioneers of the genre. It notably absent is the popular single "Oh Bondage Up Yours." Yeah, I was going to mention. Yes, it strangely is not on the south, at least not on this version of the. Yeah, album. there's some. I, I saw that there's some re-releases where it's kind yeah. of plugged in there, and there's and, there's two future re-releases for this one. But uh, the version uh, again, the version on Spotify does not have it. So, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is is that's the original. I, I want to say. Uh, I think I think that's the '95 one, which was the original plus a few bonus tracks at the end. Okay. Yeah, because the original is, is 12 tracks and it just goes. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's 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 missing that, which I think is a wasted opportunity. But at the same time, there's no. I, I mean, there wasn't really any time when the album dragged. It didn't have a chance to. It goes by pretty fast. As you're starting to feel, the album maybe might be losing some steam. It kind of hits a. Uh, I don't know, it, it kind of starts getting, like, really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so then it, it, it winds up not losing the steam. I feel, it's that final stretch that I feel is the strongest of the album. Uh, most of my favorite tracks are on uh, the back, like I, I Can't Do Anything mm. and Obsessed With You. Um, and that very that very last song uh, is a good one, Highly Inflammable, mm-hmm. where it starts incorporating a lot of... Um, oh, Highly Inflammable was not included in the original... Uh, the oh, original it? release, oh. yes, but it was in one of the re-releases. <laughs> so I mean, I guess yeah, I, I, I guess my comments uh, depend on the release. But for the version I heard, "How the yeah. Infumble" was the final track. It got some really cool synth stuff that was very reminiscent of um, I don't know Gary Newman, Talking Heads, that kind of stuff. It yeah. Was, it was, but I mean, it wasn't. It was it was in the background, so it was stuff that was that was used sparingly but effectively. But yeah, that saxophone, it really does a lot to broaden the sound and help set them apart from their peers. Like it really does uh, quite a bit. And also, yeah, I can't deny the energy of the of the other performers of the guitar bass. And, and of course, uh, Polly Cyrene's uh, vocal performance is pretty top notch. So um, honestly, I think that this is a punk classic. It really like if you really want a nice... Yeah, well, just like this, this great, this great album from this era that perfectly encapsulates what that genre was was and what it meant to people, and it's it's great, and also like enough music variety that it's not just like just doesn't feel like someone shouting in your face the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, the production is is definitely is definitely improved. Uh, it still has those high energy uh, high energy sounds. The album opens on Polly's voice, which is a hundred percent appropriate. Um, because it's it, in a lot of ways it's her album. In a lot of ways it's her album. Um, she's the she's the brains behind the operation. Yeah, and and you know she's because the chief songwriter. Yeah, I'll agree. I can't do anything. Is is a is a hell of a banger song. Anytime they really get kind of quirky, I really like. I really like nothing against the like the, the very introspective stuff, but I, I I appreciate the quirky stuff a little more because sometimes it's nice. To, sometimes it's nice to just have a bit of fun. Yeah, you know, you know it's cheeky, mm-hmm. and because that's when you take yourself too seriously, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's it can be like, okay, guys, I get it, but can you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, yeah, I get it, guys. Okay, uh. yeah, they basically included almost all the. Uh, all the tracks, which makes the the uh, exclusion of "O Bondage Up Yours" very Myst- noticeable, mystifying. <laughs> yeah, but again, like I said, uh, the re-releases would rectify this because you know. Mm-hmm. I gotta say not? that I I would love this album on vinyl, but I don't think I want like a new vinyl. I think this is one where I'd love to get a used vinyl that's got all the crackly bits and the <laughs> like. I just feel like that's gonna be a great way to listen to it. Like, just put it on a on, and you just hear the. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. I just feel like that—that's the kind of—that's the kind of record experience you want with this with this album. 
Now, I felt that Plastic Bag should have ended the album. I felt like it, it, it's the longest track by far. It's like five minutes, which mm. is astounding on an album like this where the, where the average runtime is like two minutes and 45 seconds. Um, but it also ends really nicely. But then they go into the second single, almost like an encore track, The Day the World Turns Day Glow. I, I mean, like, we've had this discussion before about like logical endings versus kind of like encore you know, well, well, you mean plastic bag is, is is that's only that's pretty early in the album, isn't it? Uh, no, that's track eleven. Okay, clearly I'm looking at a different version then. Yes, I'm. It, it's I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Spotify one and it's like track six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, okay, so listeners, just be aware that yeah. that the track order and amount of tracks does vary significantly. Yes. depending on where you go. Yes. So, uh, okay, so Plastic Bag, you feel, it, when it's later in the album, should have ended the album. Oh, yeah, and I, get, okay. I mean, it's it's like five minutes, too. It's, it is a it is a quite a long song, okay. especially given this stuff. But April 1979, uh, kind of kind of a late, because now we're going five, six months later, mm-hmm. um, this is where Highly Inflammable comes out as its own single. Okay. So it was it was post this album. Polystyrene had come out. They were working on it a little bit more, but because nothing else really happened afterwards, it makes sense that they kind of threw it onto later releases of the album. But at the time, it was just meant to be you know another single. This hit number forty five on the charts, and I actually I'm gonna be honest, I love this song as well. I think I think it's a great song. The B side to that one was Warrior in Woolworths. Well, it's another good one too, actually. Yeah. Was that also not on the original LP? Yes, it was actually. Oh. Sorry. Yes, it was track three in the original. Because that's another. That's another really solid. It is, track, it is good. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it was original. You said it was track three. Yeah, in the original listing. Oh my god! Like, how, they, how do they? How do you re-release an album and like mess around with it? Because that one's like near the end on, on the version I have here. <laughs> so like. I don't know. Like maybe this is me, the the music purist talking, mm. but like yeah, I just don't feel like you should mess around with the track order. Like that. I don't mind like having like bonus tracks at the end. Yeah, like I'm fine with that. Yeah, but, but, see when I do that, when I have an album on, mm-hmm. and I and because I'm an old fogey, I still put them on my iTunes. Mm-hmm. I'll have the bonus tracks uh, separate. Yeah, because I want to hear them, but I just I want to I want to hear the album in its purest form from start to finish, and then I can take a moment to listen to the bonus tracks if I want to or listen to them separately. Uh, I just don't feel like you should be messing around with the order that, that way. So, well, the 2005 re-release did that. It, it had the original. This is the 2005 re-release. Okay. It had the original track order and then tons of bonus tracks after. Um, and including sounds, no bondage. That sounds great. That sounds yeah. like exactly what I would have wanted if I bought the album at that time. Yeah, they even have like John Peel sessions and stuff on there. Which we've talked okay, about. John well, I don't Peel know if I would have. Uh, I don't need those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily need those. Uh, but I mean, like you know, it's just uh, or, when you, you have know. so little material from like from like yeah. an act, some some purists will like snatch. You just up anything want everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and again, John Peel was very very popular. Okay, so now here's the thing. So. Her declining health, like she's still she's still not doing especially well. Certainly not well enough to like continue on in the punk scene. And on top of that, she kind of wanted to move the band in a different direction. She wanted to do some something more acoustic, something a little easier, something a little more, you know, a little more flowing. This ultimately led the band to split up. Um, half the time, you know, she wasn't even there. She wasn't even around. Uh, she missed a lot of stuff. That happened, and they're not going to be like you missed it. How dare you, or whatever. It was just it. It was what it was. That's really tough, you know. Like the band is there, but like it's essentially the brainchild of her. Yeah, she wrote all the songs. Yeah, 
Yeah. So and then she comes back and she's like, I want to do things completely differently now. <laughs> so I don't I don't blame them for you know not, not you know wanting to I guess you know essentially bail. Well, and and, and they had other stuff going on. Uh, Harding and Airport went ahead and they formed the band uh, Classiques Nouveau. Which, and they took Falcon Stewart with them. He would still kind of hang around, but he was involved in that project quite heavily. And and Dean and Thompson, they went and formed uh, a band called Agent Orange. So, I mean, they were still wanting to, like, really keep things going. In 1980, which, again, is only a couple... This is the span of, like, of just a few years. Yeah. Uh, Polly released her first full solo LP called Translucence. I listened to a good percentage of it, and it is completely different. It is very melodic. Uh, take out the saxophone, put in some flute, for example. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I was, it's, I was thinking about it's it. It's good. It's good. But it is not this. It is not X-Ray Specs. It is very different. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, again, going a little bit back to the reggae stuff, but not full reggae. A lot of the flute, some, some sort of easy listening stuff of the time. Mm. Calling it post-punk is the most aggressive thing that you could call it. I would say that even calling it rock is... Mm, not quite wholly accurate but you know what it sounds lovely but it is not x-ray specs it is not that at all during this time she became involved in the harry krishna movement which which was sort of popular at the time around the point that apparently apparently and i read this in in an obituary very briefly and i would love to know more about it but it's kind of difficult to find and it could be entirely made up but boy george he said that he was involved with it at the time and he tried to break her out of the temple <laughs> now this is what he said um okay well yeah that, that i was just like okay thank you boy george got any more of a story to that no okay. <laughs> i'm very curious actually what was his motivation yeah um, um who knows somewhere around 81 she had a daughter named celeste when she was 24 and she fl- during the latter half of the 80s she flirted a little bit more with the solo stuff and then comes 1991, and there is a surprise reformation of the band with the re-release of Germ-Free Adolescence. This is the 91 re-release, and I think that's the one you, you listen to. Because the timeline's a little difficult. I feel like there was a... Because EMI owned Germ-Free Adolescence. I feel like there was like, well, we want to re-release this, but we want you guys to kind of be in the news again sort of thing. So they performed a sold-out show and reformed. Now, it wasn't all of them. It wasn't all of them. It was polystyrene. Laura Logic came back. Mm-hmm. They had they had patched things up. It was all good. And uh, Dean came back for playing the bass. But this time on guitar, uh, they were joined by someone who... Uh, the, the only listening I saw for him was... Uh, he was under the name Red Spectre. And I don't want to know his real name. Because Red Spectre. That sounds mm-hmm. awesome. It's not, not quite Falcon Stewart. No, it's no, pretty, no. It's pretty darn good. It's a pretty darn good name. On drums, they had Polly O'Ert. Maybe O Ert. It's it's so, it's so strange. It's capital O H like O, then capital A I R T. Polly O Ert, and yeah. so he's he's the drummer. So they had this they had this fantastic re-release of the of the album, and they're like, mm-hmm. and they said, hey, we're gonna uh, we're gonna put out some more albums. We're gonna put out a trilogy albums, and the first one that's gonna come out is gonna be Conscious Consumer, mm-hmm. and we're gonna go from there. Hey, sounded great. So September nineteen ninety five. Produced by Polystyrene herself, Conscious Consumer. Doug, what do you think of Conscious Consumer? It 
definitely doesn't have the same bombastic energy that the first album had. It's got a strange kind of identity issue, though. It, it, it doesn't quite feel like a 90s rock album, uh, nor does it really feel like a throwback to the 70s or even or even the 80s. Mm-hmm. One of the bands that I can think of that happened in the 80s that felt like a good follow-up to X-Ray Specs was actually The Waitresses. Mm, yeah, I would agree with that. Just they kind of have that same energy and saxophone and all that stuff. Hey, actually, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And cheeky. And they're cheeky, too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this doesn't feel like that, either. (laughs) Yes, you're right. But it certainly, at the same time, is X-Ray Specs. It's probably a little bit too clean to be really effective punk music, but I feel like it's it's not really what they're going for this time around anyway. I don't think they're trying to recapture that punk feel. Um, Maybe sometimes, but uh, not overall. It's certainly not a bad bad album, but I can see why it underperformed, because I'm not sure who it is... Like, who it's for in this uh, oh, era. Okay, no joke. Literally, literally, I wrote down, who is this for? Uh, <laughs> I, I felt very much the same. You're right. Who? It's not for people who are really into punk, but it doesn't really sound like, this is 95. Yeah. It doesn't sound like the pop music in 95. Or the, or the rock music in 95. Yeah. Like, yeah. like oh, this is like 95, the, the Benz. Radiohead, the Benz. Yeah, 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 yeah right? Yeah, you're right. The <clears throat> Benz was huge at this point, yeah. And it's not quite an earth-shattering comeback either, nor is it a bold reinvention. It's just, I mean, it's, so despite all that, like, it's not a bad album, I don't think. Uh, it's It's got something to say, but the punk attitude is a very difficult thing to recreate. I think for punk music to be really effective, you need to kind of be in a certain place in life. To create something that raw and gritty, yeah, you know, you can't really do it when you're a little older because you, your songwriting chops have gotten better. Mm. And you're in a better place in life emotionally, and I just find that it's either you, like you kind of have to do it when you're when you're young and dumb, <laughs> you know. I even think of even not even just punk bands, but like, even like you too, you know. The, they've never they've sometimes have tried to recapture that energy that they had when, in the boy era, and I just don't think they can. I just don't, no, think, I don't think so. I just like it's like no, you're you're not young and dumb enough. <laughs> you just, yeah. you're not you're not in the studio looking at the clock because you've paid until three thirty. And you know as soon as it hits 329 that they're going to be out that window and they're going to be steps from that doorknob and they're going <laughs> to boot your ass out. Yeah. And so you, you there's a there's a manic energy at times to mm-hmm. some of like same with um same with Joy Division, right? It's just like I mean it's it's powerful, it's raw and it was under the gun. Mm-hmm. Like they were getting it out and done. Yeah. So I, I just think that uh, you know it's you can't synthesize it. There's something that that, that has to be there's a, there's a level of desperation you need to have really like solid punk music. So yeah, it's just not going to be the same. This is a decent approximation of, I think of, uh, of, of like rock music and, and punk music. It's not the same, but uh, you know, it's, it's decent and there is more variety in the album, which I appreciate. So, and I think that this album is at its best when it's trying new sounds and styles and, you know, maybe finds, you know, has a different voice. Cause I think it's, it, when it's, we're trying to be really raw and gritty. It does sound a little too clean. It's not terrible, I don't think, but it's um, but it's definitely not like it, it doesn't doesn't capture the same essence that I think made the first album so special. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Polly's voice is refined and lovely, like like she's she's got it totally nailed down. But I also know she's not singing through her braces anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, which again, again, I found charming because she needed in order to 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 get her voice out. 
she needed to put so much energy into it. And now now the, the energy is now more in the melody than the power. Which again, is, is not a complaint, but it is a difference. I don't know why Wikipedia lists the genre as punk rock. It's not. I don't, I don't see this as punk rock. All music doesn't even talk about this album. Really? I was I was legitimately surprised. They, now, the strange because they have they've reviewed the album, but if you look in their biography about it, they don't even mention it. It definitely does seem like it's a little more swept under the rug. Which which is too bad because I I think it was co- it was cool to hear Laura Logic back again and uh, for them to give it another go. Uh, I think that's cool. And I think yeah. I think there is something nice about hearing Polysyrene, you know, just kind of back, you yeah. know, just hearing where she's at in that particular moment in in her life. Yeah. So. The Son Party on the album is such a good closer because it basically finishes basically on the on the the, the last verse is about how the party's over now. And uh, mm-hmm. and then that's how the album closes. And I was like, that's cool. Actually, that's that's kind of cool. I mean, at the time they had intended to release more albums, but if that's going to be like their last release as well, now the party's over. Then that I think that's I think that's interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's like the first ha- like their first album was and their singles were like the party was getting going. Now this is the this is the the uh, the part where people are starting to kind of to kind of leave and go home or you know catch a few catch a few Z's if they had too much to drink and uh, mm-hmm. and now the parties are wrapping up. Yeah, I mean there is a lot to love on this album. Dog in Sweden, Sophia again. I'm gonna say that when they get quirky, mm-hmm. then I like mm-hmm. it. I like it a lot, and they do some of that in here. But the party's over later that year. Oh, well, first off, this album did not do very well. So the plans for the trilogy of albums fell through. Roughly around the time of that year, Polystyrene was hit by a fire truck and broke her pelvis. Hot damn. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, that's that's no average (laughs) impact. A fire truck. Yeah, yeah. uh, Makes you think of um, Brooklyn (laughs) Nine-Nine. Where Gina gets hit by the bus. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like it's just you can't. It's horrific, but also like it just you try to imagine it. It just it's like almost like a cartoon. <laughs> February 2011, Polly Siren gives an interview for the the Sunday Times. I went to read that article, that interview, and got two lines in because it's behind a paywall. And wah, if, I, wah. if I want to read it, I got to pay a pound a month for at least six months. Really? Yeah. Um, however, the first couple lines and the title were, you know, were, it was pretty interesting, you know, uh, it should be a nice little, um, option for just like pay per article of like, a, I guess, but like yeah. the thing is too, it's just like, guys, this article is 12 years old. It doesn't need to be behind a paywall, especially because this article in particular was actually a very, um, very significant one because she revealed that she'd had breast cancer and she was being treated for breast cancer. And the article goes on to talk about uh, becoming a mother at the age of 24 mm-hmm. and about public pressure and about her diagnosis and then her re-diagnosis. There was a, it was a, it was a really a good retrospective. So it sounds article. like it was, would have been great to read. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she revealed that the breast cancer treatment, you know, was kind of, was kind of iffy. And sure enough, only a couple months later, only from February to April 2011 the breast cancer had metastasized to her spine and she died she died from that cancer age 53 basically as far as as you're going to get well i mean they did uh, there was that other live album i think they put out 2008 if i recall live at the roundhouse in london yeah um yeah actually and i did listen to a lot of it you know it's nice because i think it was like one of their last gigs yeah and so it it seems like a nice little farewell to the band um, and they and they don't and they don't pretend that the second album didn't happen, 
they bring in a few a few of the tracks. Uh, I mean, there is definitely a lot of focus on their early days because I think that's where the the what the fans really want to hear. But also, like you know, they only got two albums, so it's like once you're done with those that material, you're, you're going to want to play the other material. Sure. So although it's not like um, you know essential because it is all the songs you've heard before, I like that it's there. It's kind of a little epilogue. You know, if you want to hear the one of their last performances before the band closed up, it's just a nice little goodbye for a band with a very small discography but a fairly big impact. So yeah, many when she died, uh, there was a lot of contemporary artists from the time were singing mm-hmm. her praise to saying, "Hey, look, she was uh, she was a really big deal." Jonathan Ross said that X Ray Specs was the first live show he went to. I kind of feel bad because I'd never heard of these guys before. <laughs> to be honest, I'd never heard of them. Yeah, neither um, neither would I. So. Yeah, but they were they were extremely influential. There was uh, a uh, trash theory video that I sent you that listed mm-hmm. a bunch of acts today that cite her and uh, old bondage up yours as strong influences. A lot of those acts I hadn't heard of, but that being said, you know, just because I haven't heard of them, you know, whether they're successful or not, whether it's the type of music I listen to or not. She was uh, she was a person who meant something to a lot of women and inspired a lot of women to go into music. She was an icon who put the music first, you know, and didn't and tried actively to not have sexuality played much into it at all. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, like Madonna helped make sexuality part of her image and Mm. thrived because of that. You know, this was something where it was it was all about counterculture and rebelling and and rejecting you know, the normal punk stuff, rejecting social norms and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it was a unique voice that was doing it, so. You know, it also actually, to be honest, it kind of reminded me of some early Roxy music with the way the saxophone was, was being incorporated. Nice. yeah. Obviously, I mean, like, they're going for different sort of sort of sounds. But the audacity, the audacity of the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. Shall we get into track recommendations? Uh, yeah, let's. I'm going to recommend uh, Obsessed With You, because that is one high-energy track, and it kicks you in the butt. And also, it just I, it sticks in my mind because there's this sound effect that it has in the chorus. It was, I don't know if it's a saxophone or guitar. Oh, that's the one where she's singing opposite the sax, right? And she's got the... Yeah, I think it's the saxophone. It just goes really yeah. high. Like, and, yeah, and just has a, it's on the verge of being too abrasive, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It just helps the track stand out. It's this really cool like embellishment that just makes it really unique. It is punk perfection. Next, I can't do anything. I love this song. Uh, mostly, I like how she sings about uh, her pet rat. <laughs> her pet rat. <laughs> and you know what's nice is that actually reminded me of I think the song's called I think I smell a rat by the White Stripes. I think I smell a rat. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It just reminded me of that, and I wonder if Jack White maybe was inspired by X-ray specs in that front, <clears throat> in that uh, sense. Hmm. You know, just rolling the R with the rat. It was nice. Uh, I just love. I love. The, I like the R roll. It's being. They're being cheeky. They're being funny. Oh yeah. There's also. Uh, there's some time changes or something going on in that song that I don't know if they're being like really clever songwriters or they just don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it could be either. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, is this something going at a different speed? I don't know. Anyway, the song's great. <laughs> that's that's the brilliant thing, though, isn't it? It's just like, you guys are either geniuses or you just stumbled on something awesome. Uh, from the second album, I'm going to go with Crystal Clear. Uh, something got a little more of a chill vibe than those uh, other two songs. Um, and uh, got some really cool guitar effects in, in the background. And a lot of reverb. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of really cool embellishments just kind of under the under the hood of this album of the song that uh, you know make it stand out for me. So check out Crystal Clear because I like that one quite a bit. And those are my track recommendations. Uh, I'm gonna go with um, Highly Inflammable, which was its nice. own single, which and was. then in- incorporated a little later into Retroactive. a release. Yeah. Uh, in part, I, I love the fact that then suddenly out of nowhere we've got some new wave inspiration. We've got we have this this nice underpinning of synth as well as uh, as some great vocal production here. It's a gorgeous song and uh, and all in all um, a fantastic. It's it's one of those things where at the time of its release, you just you wonder is this the direction they're going in? You know, and it's it's so interesting. Kind of, again, it's sort of like Joy Division, right? Is this the direction they're going in? Um, right, yeah. Unfortunately, no, not really. But uh, but it does showcase some of the the songwriting potential and some of the some of the ways they could have uh, they could have gone forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As I can see as a late single compared to the album, very exciting on where uh, on what what work could have gone for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I will also go with um, off of uh, Conscious Consumer. I'm going to go with Dog in Sweden. Um, again, really quirky when they do quirky. It's fun. It's a fun listen. It's not dour. Or so like in the first case with the with the first album, it's not like just angry aggressive. It's quirky. It's fun. In the case of this album, it's not just like melodic and introspective. It's quirky and it's fun. And Dog and Sweden's part of it, but but also this is one of the cases where the energy level is pretty good on this too. Not saying that that it's 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 a down tempo album, but it's doesn't quite maintain the high energy of the first album because it's it's not it's just by design it's not going to but dog in sweden that's uh that's definitely uh, definitely one and you know what doug i'm just gonna pile on and i'm gonna second your uh your vote of i can't do anything for exactly the same reason <laughs> sure because when i first listened to the the album uh like my preliminary listen i was just kind of what was I even doing? I think I was writing something, and I had the music on in the background, and that's one of the ones that's uh, that stood out for me as, as well. Because you know, it's it's one of those the ones that, that catch your ear, and you're like, what is this? You know, I like those. I like that occasionally. A song will come on, and you'll be like, what is this? You know, because you know, it's it's kind of cool, kind of groovy. Anyways, that's X-ray specs. Now, boss man, I was originally considering recommending for why Yola Tango, and then I saw there were 17 studios. <laughs> I was actually considering that to myself, yeah. but it is an intimi- intimidating prospect. I have three <clears throat> of their albums, I think, and it's good stuff, but it's 17 albums is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think we're going to put a pin in it. Okay. And maybe, uh, maybe you, dear listener, if you have a suggestion for a Y band, please bear in mind, uh, go back through our episode list to see if we've already done them mm-hmm. <laughs> how many albums did yes do uh if you're looking for less than yola tango i think you're going down the wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh just because lately yes has been like in the in the news or i mean not like not like they all died in a bus crash or something mm-hmm. but just just the thing going on between them and uh and john anderson right like i don't know what i would love to figure out what happens because they're just like no <laughs> to, to anderson he's been with them for ages Oh yeah, they've done twenty three studio albums. Okay, that is definitely not the direction. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess, yeah. I, I forgot to even look and think about what we could listen, what we could do instead. Uh, okay. So yeah. Well, I guess let us know, everybody. Yeah. Or, if you've or, got an idea, let know, us I'll know. have a look. Also look. Uh, at they, my... Holy crap! Yes is releasing a new album next month. 
May the 19th, Mirror to the Sky. Wow. I'm still not sold on doing them. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to at some point. but I, I, I guess so, but it's just scary, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, part of me really does want to do Yola Tango, though. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll give it some thoughts. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, folks, there's a few ways that you can contact us. The first way, really, is our Facebook page. Because that one... You know, that one, I, uh, I'm i always posting stuff to it. Uh, I'm always cross-posting stuff to it. It's Music A to Z podcast, like just, or just maybe even just Music A to Z. Just check us out there. You can go to the website, musicatozpodcast.com. There's all our episodes there. So if you're like, oh, I wonder if these guys ever did Yaysayer. Uh, spoiler alert. We did. We we did. did yeah. You can check out all our past episodes. You can look at the show notes because every, like, uh, video and article that I've mentioned during the course of this podcast, it's going to be in the show notes as well i'm thinking i'm gonna stick some uh, some video footage down in there too so uh it's worth checking out we also have a twitter account at music az podcast at music az podcast shoot me a tweet sometime give me a follow and uh stay up and current with all that we do douglas mcdougles i know you had some trouble recently with uh with your episodes of ali hasn't and doug hasn't mm-hmm. but but now's your now's your chance to get some more viewers <clears throat> well uh, yeah we just released ali hasn't seen batman the animated series and doug hasn't seen teen titans not to be confused with teen titans go because i actually had seen that yeah actually thankfully the episodes had performed fairly well good the, uh so despite my having to re-edit them uh, for the YouTube to not you know, to, to not be banned from YouTube, <laughs> um, well, or just have the video taken down. Yeah, but you know, check it out. Uh, moving underscore pictures as P I K pictures, or you know, you can look it up with uh, Ali hasn't A L L I E uh, or Beast Wars Wednesday. I don't know. You know, they, we're around. We're we're there. We're on the we're on the internets, and. Uh, if you like nostalgic media, oh, yeah. that's what we that's what we we focus on. So I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And we're doing. Uh, uh, Ali hasn't. We're gonna record soon. Ali hasn't seen Lost in Space, the '90s movie. Oh, which uh, is kind of uh, that one's kind of special for me because I uh, saw it on my 11th or 12th birthday. Now go with me here. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the two of you coming over to my place? For Ali hasn't played poker. <laughs> <laughs> has she not played poker? I don't know. I mean, maybe she has. I don't know. Okay. You can find out. <laughs> uh, yeah, just I mean, per- just if, percolate. If on you us. just want to play poker, we can do that too. Yeah, just just percolate on. Okay. Us. Percolate okay. On us. Uh, anything else, Captain? No, no, I'm good. Great. I'm, I'm good. I'm great. Great. Feeling great. Feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling, feeling good. good. Feeling good. <laughs> yeah. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm going to close this out by saying Music A to Z Podcast is hosted by Stephen and Doug Ferguson. It is produced by me, Steve Ferguson. You should check out our other work at stephengcferguson.ca and moving underscore pictures on YouTube. Yeah!